This is Pastor Stuart Schneider welcoming you to a service of worship at Community Presbyterian Church in Belfont, Kentucky. Come, let us worship the Lord together. Our first reading is from Leviticus, the 19th chapter, 1 and 2, then 15 through 18. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall not render an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. With justice you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate in your heart any one of your kin. You shall reprove your neighbor, or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. May God add his blessing to this reading. Our second reading is Matthew 22, 34 through 46. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David by the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Listen for the word of the Lord in this reading. California is on fire, Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands are underwater, Houston is all but blown away, and even our president keeps saying awful things in public and doesn't seem to be ashamed by them. Our friend with the bad haircut in North Korea is threatening to touch off Armageddon for no particular discernible good reason. Even the most well-balanced Christian has to admit, even, even if only for a second, that the headlines sound an awful lot like the events which many have speculated will introduce the end times. In, in my worst moments, I get the sense that all of creation is winding up like a major league pitcher to let loose a fastball. I don't like that chain of thought. It frightens me. Where do I look for comfort? 
The answer, of course, is that I look to the story, all caps, which the church exists to tell. Not, not just any story, but the story. Finding the story in the midst of all the noise is a challenge, and it's not a trivial challenge. It has always been that way, even maybe especially in the time of Jesus on earth. So it's right and proper for the priest or rabbi or minister to be there with a word of correction when needed if popular sentiment or the culture of the time tries to change the story. And that's the job of the church. But it's also right and proper for the priest or the rabbi or the minister to recognize that God is not bound by human interpretation of his scriptures. The challenge the Pharisees and the Sadducees faced in Jesus' time was, quote, Is this stranger from Nazareth teaching the story or some adulterated version? For people of our time, the question is, if the second coming of Jesus is as subtle and quiet as the first one was, will we know him? Will we know him any better than the religious people of his time knew him? In today's gospel story, we get to look at this question through the lens of some of the clergy of Jesus' time. I know you are accustomed to view the Pharisees as the bad guys, but as I often said, I think we're too hard on them. Jesus, Mr. Nobody from Galilee, of all places, Galilee of the Gentiles, with no degree and no role to play in the temple, has come out of nowhere, made a scene, knocked over tables, and is making a great noise. It is entirely proper that the religious leaders of the time inquire into who does he think he is. And they do. That's what I'd do if someone came in here, kicked over the table, and demanded to deliver a sermon. I'd want to know if he knew what he was talking about. The people in the streets were proclaiming Jesus as a prophet. They had seen something in Jesus that moved them, that, it, that excited them. The religious leaders of the time needed to convince themselves that Jesus wasn't a random madman, so they undertook to test him. Their mistake was they tested him on how much he agreed with their understanding. That's the wrong question. People being people, we tend to overestimate our understanding of the subtle workings of God throughout his creation. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer asked him a question to test him. Why is it always a lawyer? Anyway, the question they posed, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? It isn't a very hard question. It's a sort of Hebrew school 101 question, and Jesus gives them a good, solid Hebrew school 101 answer. Quoting Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18, he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But then Jesus added a commentary. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Score one for Jesus. Jesus then asked them a Hebrew School 101 question. Who do you think of, or what do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? Yeah, this is a uniquely tricky question. The Hebrew scriptures have been interpreted by religious scholars for a millennium, resulting in an anticipation of who the Messiah was to be and what signs he would display. In their understanding, the Messiah was to be a man. Not the Son of God, mind you. That's a later title. Just a man who would usher in the Messianic age. And that man was to be of a specific family, the family of David. That's what Scripture said. In their view, that ended it. God could not act otherwise than in accordance with their understanding of Scripture. Consequently, they gave Jesus a solid Hebrew School 101 Answer, they said to him, the son of David. By the understanding of the time, which was the measure they were trying to apply to Jesus, their answer is spot on. Jesus, however, is trying to teach them what they forget all the time. God's scope of activity is greater than human understanding. Jesus quoted them, Psalm 110. He said to them, How is it then that David by the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Jesus had just shot down one of the most important signs of the coming Messiah, that he would be of the house of David. He did a good job of it, too, because Matthew tells us no one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. I think this is the point of the whole discussion, isn't it? The religious authorities have made themselves look ridiculous by focusing on what they think they know about God instead of opening their eyes to behold God before them. The people in the streets weren't having that difficulty. Now, why would I go to that much trouble to bring this up, it all happened a long time ago to people who understood their relationship with God very differently than we do. I suppose it might be of historical interest, but what does it have to do with us? Glad you asked. As clergy, it is my job to tell the story. In the words of institution, during celebration of communion, I say, I give to you as it was given to me. But I now wonder if the heavy hand of the past has so desensitized me and the people of this age to the gospel of Jesus Christ that, like the people who met him at the temple, we won't recognize him when he comes again. We want to follow the story, not just any story. I wonder if our, our culture has blurred the story. How may we know when the true gospel is spoken to us? 
do we really have to depend upon a group of professional explainers to experience God's Spirit in our lives? Jesus, happily, has the answer for us. It is found in the two greatest commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Anything said to you, church, anyone urging that your faith demands of you hatred of another is not urging upon you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ignore them. He who tells you to love with all your heart, with all your mind, with all yourself, to him give heed. Amen. Please join with me as we affirm our faith from the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Holy Scriptures have to live with us or they are of no use to us. They become simply a history lesson. Keeping the story is the job of the church. In the early church writings, the church was often referred to as a boat. And just as a boat sails through water, the church sails through culture. Inevitably, accretions from the time and culture that the boat sails through attach themselves to the bottom like barnacles. It's the job of the priest or the rabbi or the minister from time to time to scrape the barnacles off our bottom, saving what is good and removing those things that distract or interfere with the church's job of remembering and telling the story. Until we meet again, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God's people said.